0: This is the Bay Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we continue our review of The Chosen with a discussion on the third episode of season two. What a blockbuster episode!
1: This was a this episode. I mean, obviously it was a huge crowd pleaser, um, for obvious reasons and good reasons. Um, I this is one of my favorite episodes of of all the seasons that I've seen too, and. Probably not. I mean, I enjoyed the episode for all the same reasons that I think the mass, you know, population did. But uh, I I, I enjoyed a lot of the, like, between the lines stuff as well. So, yeah, a really good episode. I liked it a lot. All right. Well, let's get into it. I'm going to have very few things to say negative about this, Brent.
0: Perfect. Okay. Well, spoiler horn coming up. And then uh, credits uh, start the episode, actually. So... We'll be into it after that. (music) So this episode starts with an incredible shot. A shot lasting 13 minutes and 27 seconds, Marty. That's
1: right. They call it a winner, I've been told. I've listened to a few other podcasts. My wife found this video I think we're going to reference here in a moment. They talk about it. It's a really fascinating cinematic accomplishment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and it truly is. I think... People probably have most recently talked about this with the movie 1917. I don't know if you've seen that, Marty. Oh, sure. But that entire movie is a wonder, um, which is not actually true. They definitely did it across multiple takes, um, but they have. So for reference, The Chosen, like a season of The Chosen, eight episodes, has like a $10 million budget versus 1917 which is like a probably a two hour movie with a couple hundred million dollar budget. Yep. Um, So the, the budgets are a little lopsided, but when you have that much money, you can um, pay visual effects people to blend shots together and you would not know. And they were very careful when they did that because they said, okay, people are going to expect it here. So we're going to do it when they don't expect it. So they're very smart. They planned it all out. Definitely not one actual shot. Uh, 1917, the movie, <laughs> um, still ambitious, still an incredible achievement and, um, beautiful work by the visual effects artists, because you cannot tell, uh, but the chosen is not working with that kind of money. So this is actually one single shot and, and the story behind it too. We'll, we'll link the, um, the YouTube video where Dallas is talking about the production of this, um, among other things in the episode, but the, they tried this like three or four times during the day and didn't get it. And like the light is going away and this is their last shot and it worked. And wow. I didn't know about this going into the episode the first time I watched it. And I think five minutes in, I was like, wait a second. Has this been one shot the whole time? Have they, have they cut? Right. And I like started paying attention. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you know, he says, he says in the YouTube video, like we we don't want the production to distract from the content. But you know, I'm a film nerd, so yeah, I noticed. I I don't know that you would necessarily notice. I don't, I don't. What What was your perspective on it, Marty? Did you notice as you were watching the first time?
1: <laughs> it's one of those things. And see, I already like listened to other podcast discussions about other production cinematic stuff, and so I'm aware of it. And I didn't notice it directly, but I ex I, I can I can say I experienced the scene in a way that de- I didn't necessarily go, what's going on? But I felt you can feel the, whatever you want to call that, the difference, the significance, the impact that that kind of an approach makes. I definitely felt it. Um, I don't mean like felt it in like an emotional way. I mean, I uh, as you're watching it, it's such a seamless experience to what you're watching. I, I, I was aware of it without being aware of it.
0: Yeah. And like the the rehearsal that's required for this, like, where where the actors have to stand, because like they're standing in a circle around that fire, and the where the camera ends up, many times it's like uh, that that has to be where Simon's standing, right? No, yep. uh And so like the choreography of how they have to move around and make sure nobody is in the wrong spot at the wrong time, make sure they get back to the right spot, but before the camera comes around again, uh, like just just an incredible shot in that sense, and then to do it at sunset, which I think is so perfect for this episode, because Jesus is off doing these healings in this tent, and you don't see him until the very end of the episode. But he's off doing that, and this shot is happening as the sun is going down. So it's fairly bright at the beginning of the shot when Matthew and uh, Philip are walking in, and you just sense like Oh, this day's been going on for a long time, and we're well, we're we're well into nighttime, and Jesus is still going, and there's still a line. The disciples are still rotating out to like help and do whatever with all the people there. And I think it just, I think it tells the story of this episode so much better than this than if this had been, you know, just a daytime shot.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. It, there's no doubt. It's just so well designed
0: an incredible achievement um shout out to the the camera op for carrying that giant goodness like the steadicam is is not uh nothing to joke about yeah it is it is not like anything else um as far as camera operation so major props um so yeah so let's let's get into the the actual content of the episode so um yeah matthew and philip start off Uh, the episode, they're walking towards the camera, walking towards the line, walking towards what Jesus is doing. And uh, Matthew's asking Philip, like, where do I even start with the text? And so they're going through some options. Um, And then kind of in the middle of that, this woman runs by and Matthew's trying to ask her what happened. And she says she was healed of epilepsy and Matthew's trying to write this down and ask her more questions, but she's so excited. She just runs away and then um, they continue the discussion about like, what is even the purpose of memorizing this stuff? What is belief? What is, you know, all of these different elements? Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, pretty great discussion between those two.
1: The whole thing is just so, uh, I shouldn't say the whole thing. That portion of the conversation you're referencing is so Bema. Like it's just, it, it's some of my favorite Minutes of some of my favorite moments of the, the two seasons. And, I mean, there are these two quotes, um, both of them in this discussion between uh, Philip and, and, uh, and Matthew. And Philip says two things. The first thing he says, No amount of learning can bring you closer to God or make you more or less precious to him.
0: He's always right here, right now, with you. You?
1: just that that line is so true so good and so relevant for what we do here with our study and like we have to be reminded of that over and over and over again i travel all around i do meet and greets and q a's and man what a great line i want to have that line like i want to have it on quick play on my phone so i can just be like boom like it's just so well delivered like no amount this is not about the quantitative learning of data. This isn't about learning the as far as getting closer to God. Like the learning's phenomenal and fantastic, and boy will God use it in all kinds of ways. But none of this changes your position with God. None of it changes how accepted or loved. None of this brings you closer to him. He's as close to you, just so well delivered. Um And then the second one that he says, uh, Matthew's like trying to figure out Uh, he's trying to figure out the process and the mechanics, like so many of us, like so, so many of us as Westerners and Philip interrupts him mid sentence and says, so with the passage of David, uh, I'm just trying to understand the trying is the thing, like trying to figure this out, trying to memorize it, trying to interpret, trying to trying is the thing. And I'm like, man, what a Bama esque lesson like delivered in that line. That's, I don't know what you think, Brent, but that is everything we've designed, 260-some-odd episodes, is supposed to have facilitated trying is the thing, not answers. You are not going to get a test at the end of this life. God's not going to hand you, uh, you know, the spiritual ACT, you know, ACT, the SAT, to get into heaven. That is not how this works. This is about becoming a kind of people. And, uh, man, I love those two lines. Those are so great.
0: Yeah. Philip, Philip gives him a single line from Psalm 139. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you were there. And Matthew's like, well, I don't plan on being in heaven anytime soon. And I'm certainly not going to the depths. So what, why do I need to know this? Right. <laughs> it's like, oh man, Yep. <laughs> Matthew's got, you know, some things to, some things to figure out, some things to realize. Just fun,
1: and yet Matthew represents just so many people and so many. Oh, I know. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly
0: how I feel most of the time. Ah. It's like, well, what am I going to do with this information? How is this useful to me?
1: Yep. Well, I just love the literal. I mean, I mean that chosen does a pretty good job. They can't make it an Eastern show. Like it has to be a Western show, speaking to a Western audience. But they 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 balance that super well. But Matthew somehow in that unique space plays to our Western sensibilities so well, because he takes that passage so literally. He has to, because of his personality. Like, he has to take that passage so blasted literally. And that's just what so many of us do at the beginning of this journey. And it takes us so long to, like, deprogram that, to to like step back to see what's going on, to realize that the important stuff is actually not in the literal details as much as the trying, the trying is the thing just so good. Thank you, Philip. Mm -hmm. So then
0: um, we're, we're back in the, the camp. They've walked into the camp at this point and Matthew kind of branches off and starts talking to Mary and Ramon. He's like, okay, Here's what I've got one line of Psalm 139 let's let's get this going so he shares that with them and uh, then the some other disciples are gathered around the the fire and they're kind of trying to come to grips with what Jesus is doing not only like in this moment healing so many people but just what he's doing in general with this whole ministry and uh, John comments, I wouldn't mind being famous. <laughs> And, uh, and Philip points out, he's like, yeah, but the fame, it comes with enemies too. And, um, you know, they're, they're having this discussion about how they expected the Messiah to come as a military leader. And yet Jesus is here healing people instead of killing Romans. Just a tough conversation I think for them to
1: and again just so well done on behalf of uh the production crew and the writers and whatnot like it, it kind of start it, that whole section kind of by the way we're still in the winner like we're easily within the winner like we're still in that same camera shot which is crazy to me yeah
0: we have we have a long ways to go <laughs> <laughs> we're
1: not even close to the end of it yet and this whole conversation it starts with this man this is a hard day like this is this is a, a lot of work um and and Philip has this statement like, oh, "It's not fun, but it is good." Like, and I thought that was another great line. Philip just has the best lines um, to me, but that's because I love Essenes. I just love Essenes so much. Okay. Um <laughs> yes. and, and then the conversation about fame and enemies, which obviously leads to this further conversation about enemies. And then they're all kind of standing around, they're talking about, you know, what it was like to grow up wanting to wanting to kill Romans, wanting to have victory over the Romans, wanting to fight Romans you know, James and John and playing with wooden swords and, and, and other people are like, Oh, I just like, I think it's, um, Oh, what's the name of the other, uh, the other, uh, female character? Um, not Mary, but Rayma. Rayma And she says, "I, I just dreamed of being rescued like, um, at, Uh, Oh, oh, and then there was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She
0: says she has a knife. She's hiding under a bed. The Romans have broken into her house. She says she has the knife and she's ready. And then right as they they find her, Jesus comes in, or not Jesus, but the Messiah comes in.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so just all these different perspectives, and we talked about that all throughout at the beginning of session three. Zealots and Pharisees and Herodians and all these people would have had a different understanding of who rome is and um and obviously throughout the episode they pull on matthew and and he has such a unique relationship with rome and um that leads into like this discussion about prophecy uh because eventually somebody's like why i think of mary that says well why do you think he has to be a military ruler like why do you think he's coming to fight and 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 there's this um is it uh Oh, who's, it's Thomas? It's Thomas yeah. that says, well, Zachariah, and he starts quoting, and then Philip kind of interrupts him and picks up. And but there's all this discussion about war, but but when is the war? And what kind of a war? And that's kind of Philip's point. We don't know when any of this is going to take place. And 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 you can just even there, there the next few lines of dialogue is all about how they're looking at prophecy, how they see prophecy and and I think I, – I don't know if they would have in that historical setting have discussed prophecy quite the way that they're doing it in the scene. We discussed that in session two. But uh, the, as far as the diversity and the complexity of how you can read prophecy and how there's going to be different ways of seeing prophecy, 100%. Um, I have that one other note too in my in my notes from that scene – at one point, Rayma somebody asked her like what they would have said if somebody came and asked her a question, and she would have said, I would have said, I don't know, go ask my brother. And I thought the the unspoken uh part of that line is this this thing that Jesus is doing, and I think is historically accurate. I think that's present in your gospels. I don't think this is a Dallas Jenkins decision. I think he's taking it from what we see in the gospels is the place that Jesus gives women in his ministry is so prominently—I don't know what you want to call it. it. It's not the norm. It is scandalous. It is not what they were—that were. were that was not the status quo. It's not their typical experience. And, and she would have said when she was younger, I don't know, go ask my brother. And here she is standing around the fire with other male disciples, learning, learning Scripture alongside of Matthew— I just thought that was a really cool part of that scene too. So I, I loved that.
0: Yeah. And the, that little conversation kind of closes with um, Mary making a comment. Like, I don't, I don't think he's waiting for us to be holy. Cause they were having the conversation. Like, Oh, oh yeah, well, we thought, we thought yeah. the Messiah wasn't supposed to come until everyone was, you know, had all their ducks in a row. And Mary's like, I don't think he's waiting for us to be holy. I think he's here because we can't be holy without him. And then uh Philip Philip kind of pauses and he's like, "Well, that's good. The baptizer will want to use that," which is <laughs> which is really interesting because um a little bit later at the end of the wonder when Mother Mary comes in, she sees Philip and she's like, "Oh, Philip, what are you doing here? How's how's John?" And and she's a little bit concerned. He's like, "Oh, no, he's fine, but he told me that it's time, so now I'm here with your son." Um but it's interesting because he's he's been told by John like Okay, go follow Jesus now, but he also just has this thing in the back of his mind where he's still like supporting John and his ministry, and like, oh, that line is going to be useful for John's uh, for John's purposes, you know? Yeah. Which I thought, yeah, that's you know, a great point. Is, is like he's he's still at this point, I guess, has a little bit of one foot in each camp. Yeah. Not not that they're like completely different camps, but no, um, I like that. Yeah, I think I think that's a little because Philip is this like, you know, this wise sage of a character. And it's like there's not really a whole lot to dislike about him. Um, He's, you know, he's so much more measured. He's so like he just has good perspective, everything. But I think we see a little bit of this like struggle with him where he still is kind of like not completely committed to following Jesus. He's still like hedging maybe a little bit because he doesn't quite know what he's doing there yet. I think, yep, so then uh little James comes back from his shift, uh assisting the line and sits back down to start playing his game with Thomas, and he's um relaying how he's struggling with the fact that um all of these Samaritans are believing in Jesus simply because they're being healed, not because of who Jesus is or what his messages is or anything like that. He's like they're believing because they're healed. And then Thomas um is asking him, he's like, "Well, what about you? Why hasn't Jesus healed you? Why don't you talk to him about your own healing and and they they go through that whole conversation, which the first time I watched this, like okay, but having just had our conversations with Kevin Chandler, this little portion of the scene just had so much more impact to me um knowing Kevin's perspective like the miracle is that I don't have to be healed to do all these things that I want to do. The miracle is the community that is gathered around me to support me. Yep. And
1: man, yeah, uh, that, that scene had way more teeth now uh, than it did before the first time um, because of that conversation. So I absolutely, um, yeah, and I, I just kept thinking about that and some of the I won I, I I even had in my notes. I wonder how Kevin would have written those lines of dialogue. Um probably probably in very similar ways and, and probably would have added even some things that I think uh would have been so interesting. But I, I did as I reflected on that, I did think it was interesting that one of his greatest concerns So he voices this like, "Ah, I'm just afraid that they believe in him, which is good. I want them to believe in him. But the only reason they are is because of the healing. And, And then his, like one of his greatest concerns isn't so much. He does have obvious questions about his own physical condition. But I felt like his greater question and insecurity was, I don't want him to think differently of me. That's the line right before Thomas kind of starts to, you know, compassionately laugh at him like it's not like he doesn't know about your condition, but it was that line right before where he says I wouldn't want to ask him cuz I don't want it to change our relationship. And I just thought man, and isn't that isn't that the actual condition under the condition that Kevin was talking about? Like there's the physical reality and the physical condition, but there are some things that are much deeper and wider and even more real and more true. And I'm hearing that in the dialogue there um, with with little James. So I I just thought that was really um, well done scene as well. All of it, by the way, still a part of the winner.
0: Still, yeah, yep, yeah. and it's about to end. So uh, as they're you know wrapping up that little conversation, Mother Mary comes in, and uh, this is where she talks to Philip about, about John. She meets Matthew for the first time. Matthew wasn't there the last time she was with them. Um, and she makes, she makes some comment about his clothes and, um, and then, you know, there's a little Mary kind of covers for him a little bit when she asks what he used to do. And then, uh, and then, um, mother Mary is like, well, I'm sure if Jesus called you, you're someone special or something, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a little bit of foreshadowing for later in the episode. And then uh and then she's like, Okay, well, we've got all this food, let's let's get dinner going. And so that is finally the end of the one shot.
1: Oh like, Brent, whoo. I didn't even catch like the you, you said foreshadowing or just the later connection. I didn't even I didn't even think about how that would connect and be relevant for the later part of the episode. That's such a great point. Uh, yeah. Boy, yeah, absolutely. Wow.
0: And I guess probably foreshadowing for, you know, the rest of the entire show, but specifically what I'm thinking of in that moment, watching it a second time, is that uh, there's a conversation coming up that, uh, that that could be a part of. Right. So then we have this montage of dinner preparations and shelter preparations, getting tents ready. And, and then we're... We are late into the night at this point. Um, It is completely dark in the sky.
1: And I love during that montage, by the way, and maybe this is just me. I don't know, whatever. Um, But I I felt like, and this, um, I don't want to make it a chiastic middle, but there's like, like there, that montage for me felt like community, community in this Havara is growing like significantly beyond what we watched in season 1 and new people are joining the group and I get all that that the dynamics are changing but relationships are also starting to form and deepen and we saw that with like they're sitting around the campfire having open dialogue they're um they're and that's before um at the beginning of this episode in the daylight they're they're staying around the campfire there's uh you know Thomas and James playing a game and talking about meaningful things and uh, discussing scripture and like community is definitely forming and growing in this episode, which will be ironic and so true about the human experience in community by the time we get to the end of this episode. But I just that that it's it's palpable the the growing and significance of the relationships that they're forming is definitely something that that you can see.
0: Yeah. And I think the way their conversations play out is just so realistic and I, it's got to be a struggle to write this. And I guess part of it is directing and editing too, um, and how they, how they pace everything, but it's just like, you know, Mary is saying something and you're, you're looking at her and you can kind of see like, she's not quite done with her thought, but then Thomas comes in with his own angle on the same conversation And, yeah, and like, that's, it's just how conversations actually play out. There's so many different things that they talk about. They're talking about, um, they're talking about money. They're talking about losing parents. They're talking about the Roman occupation. Uh, they're talking about, um, times that they've broken kosher laws. Uh, like it's just, it's so wide ranging and so realistic. And it's like, man, how do you, how do you write that? And like, make sure you're covering all the things you need to cover, but also have it feel like this is how this conversation would actually play out. If these people were sitting around the fire, it's just quite a thing.
1: Yeah, I had the same exact thoughts. Um, I really, really enjoyed the dialogue. And I kind of like started backing up and paying attention to it from like a critical perspective, because I've listened to other podcast conversations, like I said, about cinematic stuff, or I read the book. um, I think it was Story by McKee, one of my uh, friends and students and podcast listeners gave that. You can link that in the show notes if you want to. It's really not relevant to Baymax content, but it talks about like how to design and write cinematic story. And one of the points that they make in those discussions is when you're doing cinema, you can't typically design a conversation to be real because if you do a real conversation, it does not work on the screen. It just does not feel right. So you have to write unreal Unlog- illogical conversation because that's how cinema flows and i thought man they just did that super well and props to the scr- to the writers props to the actors because like mary i feel like mary has some of the toughest lines of dialogue to deliver because they're right on the edge of making her seem like pompous or like j- they I, I i don't know what that is but Like they, they, she has some tough lines to deliver and she does it well.
0: You talking about Mary Magdalene or Mother Mary?
1: No, no, Mary Magdalene. Um, when she talks about her own experiences, she's like, I guess that makes it easier for me. And she delivered that just well enough. Like it was like, boy, that line could have gone a few different directions and she delivered that well. Um, but yeah, I just thought, man, that dialogue for what it is, they really wrote that and acted that well. Like that was well done. I, I totally agree with your assessment there.
0: Yeah, uh, in one, of the, one of the conversations that's uh, apparently most talked about is the, the disciples, um, or Mary specifically, asked Mother Mary, she's like, hey, when did you understand who Jesus is? Like, How did you, how did you come to this realization?
1: Okay, now I'm going to stop you there, Brent, because one of my favorite parts comes before that in the scene, all right? So before they start asking that question to, to Mother Mary, they start like i just love the honesty of those and you already mentioned it like the things that they're talking about the honesty there like they're having dialogue we have not seen prior in the in the in this season or the season prior the things they're talking about the intimacy the vulnerability that they're showing one of my favorite lines showed up here um it it, it comes from from andrew talking about um the heroes of our history sometimes i feel like I'm living someone
0: else's life. Like when I look at myself from the outside. It doesn't always feel like me. It feels like someone who's trying to live up to the heroes of our history. Like
1: I have to do something great. I know I'm not great. Man, what a, that is, not for everybody, not for every personality, but there are some people out there, I'm one of them, where I just feel like I, in order for me to be of any worth or any value, I have to match some level of significance. Like I have to have a, a life of human significance. And what a, um, what an exhausting, self-condemning voice that can be. And I just thought, what a what a well written, what a well delivered. Uh, I'm not great. I, 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 I always felt like I had to follow in the footsteps of the heroes of our history. And then just a little bit later, but I'm not great. Um Whoa will history tell a different story, Andrew. But all right, back to where you were <laughs> about Mary, unless you have something to add to that.
0: Uh nope, that's that's good. Um so yeah so so Mary's asked about you know how did she understand when Jesus Mary did you know knows who he is Mary yeah. did you know <laughs> and she says that she did know um, <laughs> but she had moments of doubt, like when you know in the actual birth process she's she says, you know, I'll spare you the details, but when he came out, he needed to be cleaned, and I held him, and he was cold, and um yeah they they just. She's like I. I had this. I had this expectation, and then it was, it was a different kind of fulfillment of the expectation.
1: Well, I know we linked that video, the YouTube. That same video, he'll also deal with like, like the the backlash he got from that scene with with Mother Mary, and he talks about a few different elements of that. One of them is obviously there's going to be a, a very large. Uh, Catholic viewership of what they're doing with the chosen. They love to like acknowledge that it's such a weird line for them to walk because some of those, especially when it comes to the character of Mary, there's going to be so just some wildly different assumptions that either side of that line are going to be making. Um, and he's really good about saying "I'm I'm not Catholic. I don't share some of those same beliefs, but he does very intentionally try to honor that. And I have notes about that. Like I love how they honor who she is in the show and how they work that in and how they give her a very prominent place now they also do this uh humanity thing which apparently and not surprisingly he got all kinds of like negative pushback because that's that's craziness heresy that jesus needs to be served and has this humanity and she was needed and all that and putting so putting the catholicism aside putting the catholic theology aside i just have to back him up one more time like i did in season 1 Anytime Dallas does this in the Chosen and leans into the humanity of these characters, Christ included, leans into the humanity of His incarnation, the humanity of this baby. Uh, I'm I am like fist pumping, go Dallas, go! So hey, Taylor Swift will say, "Shake it off, baby." <laughs> there we go. There's my there's my reference, my obscure secular reference for the for the episode. But there you go, um,
0: obscure. <laughs> Uh yeah. Well, and she she makes a comment, you know, by the time like once once he learned how to walk and eat, he didn't really need me anymore. Yeah,
1: I love that. Yes. And then she also says at one point in the in the she says there's other things but I'm not I'm not ready to or I'm not going to share those for now. And immediately the verse talking about how she cherished things in her heart came to mind. Mm. And I thought, "Oh, just so well played. Like she's not here just to spill the beans and like this was something that's very special, and she's going to share some of it, and she's keeping some of it, and for all kinds of reasons. And I just love that. It's, uh, just another well done part of the the episode. Which, by the way, I'll, I'll also uh, what, unrelated to the episode, but one of my favorite songs that's on my playlist during um, the Christmas season and Advent. Uh, we can, I don't know, I don't know what copyright laws allow you to do, Brent, but if we can put a YouTube video link to the song, uh, Who Would Have Dreamed by Sovereign Grace Music. Um, I just love the theology of that song. Uh, um, so if we can, if it's not illegal, we're going to put it in the show notes and uh, and drop that in there. But it talks about the, the longing of God's people, but you know, the, uh, the the chorus talks about who would have dreamed or ever foreseen that we could hold God in our hands. And I feel like such a uh, – uh, what am I trying to say? Such a, a congruent song for that scene and what she's discussing, Mary, there. So interesting.
0: Well, it's definitely not um, against the law to link to a YouTube video. So <laughs> that will definitely be in the show notes. Um, yeah, I, I like thinking back to my time when I was in the Catholic Church, which was A, a long time ago, and B, when I was pretty young but there were, there was definitely a lot of conversation about mary but it was all very like ethereal conceptual like we never had conversations like okay so what was what was jesus's actual birth like what are the practicalities of that like i never had that conversation and i would assume some people in the catholic church are but that that was not the like yep that's not what we talked about so i don't know i think i think maybe if Catholics had that conversation, they might have, you know, different ideas about I'm sure what that would be. So I'd be, I'd be curious to like be a fly on the wall.
1: Yeah. He mentions in that video, even within like Catholic theology, there's nuances, there's complexities and there's different ways of understanding and or articulating those things. So, yep.
0: So then moving on there in the episode, Thomas and Mary are discussing like what it's like to lose parents, um, riffing on the idea of Jesus losing his father, which like, man, talk about, you know, I just think of, of the idea that, you know, Jesus experienced all the things that we experienced. And it's like, well, to some extent that cannot be true in every single case, but like how many people have lost a parent right? and, and knowing that Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Yep. Um, And and I think maybe it helps that we don't know the details of how Joseph died. Yep. Um, yep. But but yeah, like that conversation was, was pretty moving. And then, um, and then they're just talking about like how they all even came in here, how they all know what they know. And Andrew makes this remark, like, I don't think anybody here went to bait Midrash. Like we, we did our, we did our bait Sefer, we got our Torah and then we're out. Like we're, we're not special. We didn't make the cut. And, uh, I, like, I just love how they, they weave in. Yep. All of these things yep. without necessarily like, like they're not throwing up a presentation.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, like we are, yep. but they're,
0: but they're just like, you know, just integrating all of these ideas. It's so good.
1: Uh, I'm just going to let you say that so well, cause I'm just going to go off again. So I'm just going to agree with you. It's still well done. <laughs> uh, but,
0: but then they're talking about like, okay, so what, and you know, they're talking about the different laws and following the law and how, how difficult or easy that is. And and Thomas is like, you know, one time when my parents were sleeping, I, I went and tried meat and cheese together. (laughs) And uh, and then he, he says that, you know, that he was, it made him really sick. And so he's never broken another food law, uh, (laughs) which is amazing. I don't know that you would necessarily agree on that. Part of the perspective, Marty, <laughs> as far as like him never breaking another food law. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, uh, like, oh, it made me sick, so I'd never. Uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: I, I thought it was clever because I could totally see somebody thinking that. Like, so I remember having this is probably like this is probably way too much information for our listeners, but this is fantastic. Um, so I had a I had a gathering once, and the way that I observe my own kosher observance um, is. I'm going to eat kosher and if somebody asks me I'm going to I'm going to very much help them um help me eat kosher. But if I go over to somebody's house and they don't know I eat kosher or they forgot or whatever and it was like this honest mistake and all they have to serve me is non-kosher food, I I'm going to and Paul's not directly talking about this, but Paul says eat whatever is placed in front of you. I'm going to use that same principle. I'm going to I'm going to eat food and if you know, so I I show up at this small group gathering shortly after I I moved to Moscow, like, you know, however many years ago, and people were still getting used to having me at their parties. And one of my best friends um forgot and made a whole bunch of bratwurst. And that was like the thing we were all eating was bratwurst. Now, I probably could have just sat and nibbled on carrots, but I'm I'm having a brat. You made you wanted me to eat bratwurst. You made these for me. I'm gonna have a bratwurst or two or five. I can't remember how many I had. <laughs> You're gonna take the opportunities as they come, I guess. Well, that but I will tell you, and he loves to tell this story. We both do. Um, I'd my goal was to make it back home. By the time I left that party, my tummy was a rumbling, and um, I got out the door and realized I was just not gonna make it home comfortably. So I turned around and said, I am so sorry for what I'm about ready to do to your restroom. And I it, I can resonate. That's all I'm just gonna say. I'm gonna I can resonate with good old Thomas here. <laughs> Cause I walked out of there going, that was the judgment of God. Like <laughs> now do I really theologically believe that? Probably not, but I can totally uh see him smiling saying like, oh I remember eating not kosher and I paid the price for that. And yeah, absolutely I'll never not eat kosher again. So Hey man, I, I've been there. That's 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 real. That's that's truth right there. Thomas, I feel you.
0: Well, I, I'm going to fall more on Thaddeus' side, who has, admits to being in a Gentile city and trying some pork, and he's like, <laughs> ah, it was marvelous.
1: <laughs> I'm hoping that he paid for the pork that he just took, because it kind of sounded like he needs to add stealing to the things he did wrong that day.
0: Yeah, yeah, the way it was, the way it was said, yeah, possibly, <laughs> I don't know. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, who know I don't I don't understand how those markets work, Marty. I don't know what it was like to be there. I don't know. Either. Um maybe it was a sample. Who knows?
1: I appreciated that. And I can totally see by the way, people thinking like, oh, and they never broke another food law. I would I would say yes. I, I would say absolutely. Um I would say it was it is not hard to imagine at all that on a routine basis. People in the in the Galilee, especially coming from a Pharisaical worldview, would never break a food law, a kosher food law. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I was not suggesting that Thomas was insincere in saying that right. he never broke another food right. law. I was just saying, like, would you have had that same, which, you know, I guess kind of. <laughs> um, I think we're kind of moving into this last conversation here that it kind of turns to the idea of the the Roman occupation and, you know, what it's like to be. Under the boot of Rome. And then Simon rudely confronts Matthew about his own life.
1: Such a disappointing. I'm emotionally churning at that <laughs> moment. in the Because I'm like, Peter, I, I get that you're human and I've loved your moments, but this is so blatantly out of line. I'm angry. Like I'm angry at Peter as he does this. I'm like, how dare you?
0: This feels to me like the kind of conversation where I feel like I've been wronged about something somewhere and I play out this conversation in my head and I'm going to go to the manager and I'm going to tell him this, and this and this, and I'm going to, and they're just going to turn around. And like, I have this huge like vision of how this is all going to play out. And I'm going to have this, you know, this justice and people are going to lose their jobs and all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, actually they just forgot to refill my water cup. That wasn't actually that big of a deal, which clearly the stakes are different here. Like correct? there are, there are actual, actual things going on, but, but that it's just that kind of a conversation where, where Simon has been playing, playing out this confrontation in his head for, you know, days or weeks, however long they've been together with Matthew now. And And then the conversation actually comes out and it's like, this is like playing out that conversation as Simon imagined it more or less.
1: Well, and and Simon's been completely in this whole conversation around the campfire. He is completely unengaged. Everybody else is being vulnerable, sharing, discussing, like Andrew's having to pull out the rare comments that he makes, which are kind of like half-hearted jabs, funny quips, but Simon is not engaging, like, the larger conversation on a meaningful level at all. Yeah. And I I love what you just said because it's almost like – and we've seen it the last couple episodes in season two here. Like, this has been building up in him. And I don't know if he's just sitting there stewing about Matthew around the – but I could see that because when that opportunity comes, it's just like you said. He, he's he got the monologue ready. Like, he's ready. He's practiced it in the shower it's ready to go like that kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. And you know, Matthew kind of asked some questions and, and Andrew sort of ducks onto Simon's side. He's like, you know, Simon isn't really saying this very well, (laughs) clearly, but he does have a point. Like there are some questions that you have to answer some things that you need to atone for whatever. Um, And like part of Simon's big spiel is like, he's never going to forgive Matthew. He's never going to be able to, he's just, he's never going to do it. And, uh, you know, John is kind of sticking up for the other perspective and, and, and Simon's like, well, are you, are you taking his side? He's like, well, no, I'm not taking his side, but like you have problems too. Like this isn't, this isn't a one-sided operation. Um, and they go back and forth about that, you know, that season one situation where Simon's about to, you know, turn James and John and and their family over to the Romans. And, uh, and Simon's like, well, I never actually did it. It's like, well, yeah, but that was your heart. That was your intention behind it. Like you, you got to answer for that to some degree too. And, and they all stand up and they're like, they're about to battle it out. And then this is where Jesus comes in. He walks around the corner. He's looking completely exhausted. He doesn't stop. He just turns and waves and says, good night and keeps going to his tent
1: stumbles to his tent. Like he is. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. He is. He is completely, he's given everything, um, short of, you know, uh, I guess probably uh, crucifixion, like not, not quite that far, but it's like, you know, close, Yep. close. He's given every, every bit of energy that he has for the day. And, uh, and then this is that moment where it comes back, um, with mother Mary where she realizes, Oh my gosh, he needs me. And she jumps up and goes over and she washes his feet. Um, you know, she helps him get, get into his tent and everything. And, uh, Jesus lies down says his blessing, you know, and it kind of fades out from there. But, but meanwhile, all the rest of the disciples are just completely silent. You know, you see all the expressions on their faces where they're like, Oh man, we're going at it about this. And meanwhile, Jesus was doing all of this good work and then, uh, the credits roll and there's no music at all. Like, it's just the, the nature sounds. So it's like their, their conversation was, was completely over at that point. <laughs> Everyone just tucked their tails between the legs and, and walked back to their tents, I guess is, is what, uh, what we're supposed to come away with.
1: Yep. Yeah. And the, and the weird, um, poignant, grace what what would be another way of phrasing that it's grace but it also has an edge to it it's convicting grace yes is that he never he never he doesn't say anything to him there's no there's no prophetic like hey guys knock it off there's not even a look there's actually a blessing there's a have a good night i'm going to bed there's words of like peace and no passive aggressive Yep. Because nothing has to be said. It's just, it's grace, and it's just unbelievably cutting. And I'm sure that there's nothing relevant there for us, Brent. I'm sure <laughs> that, and all of the stupid Twitter arguments that we have, and who we're worried about canceling, and all the things that we're doing, and Jesus, I'm, I'm sure that there's nothing relevant there, Um, that there's just work that Jesus is up to in the world. And, and oh, that we would see that in such a way that we too would just be convicted by that same grace that he extends to us. But I digress, or do I?
0: I mean, can any of us really say that we have not had a moment where conviction has just rolled over us like a boulder as it did to that group? Like, man. Yep. Uh, and just, oh man, Mary, Mary helping him and washing his feet and like, Oh man, I'm cr- I'm starting to cry just thinking about it now. Yep. Definitely was crying in the episode. Yep. It's like, man, this show just. Uh. Yep. <laughs> the the level of just humility and service and and pouring pouring ourselves out for each other and man, yep, mm. so good. Yep. Such such a beautiful contrast to their conversation that they had been having. So that does it for this episode, Marty. Okay, we're on to, to the bags. next.
1: A little longer than the episode itself. <laughs> <laughs> that was dense, though. There was a lot of, uh, yeah. in a lot of ways, the dialogue does all the heavy lifting, but gives us so much to keep talking about.
0: Yeah, and this whole the, the episode is titled Matthew four twenty four. It's like this whole episode is based on a single verse, yep. um, where which just says like Jesus was healing, healing people, and then, so you you just get all these conversations, and obviously they're bringing in elements from from other parts of scripture, but most of this stuff is just like. Okay, so the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. It's like, yep. Okay, so that's the one we have recorded. But what about all these other conversations? Because you know they're having these types of arguments and, and discussions oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. every day. Yep. You know, so I just I just love that we get to see it in it, and it's good. So that'll do it for this episode. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EABCB, and you can go to BaymontEstablishment dot com to find out everything you need to know about the podcast. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. That'll be right after that. Yeah.
1: And that's not a part of the wonder. That's finally a different scene, right?
0: Nope. That's still the wonder.
1: Holy heck.
0: Yeah. 13 minutes and 27 seconds.
1: (laughs) That was quite the wonder. The wonder was a short episode. Like we're going home.